Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another service where we, as the children of God, can not only gather together in worship and song, but also worship in remembrance of our God's grace through communion. A big thank you to Brother Mike Moran for leading us at the Lord's table this morning. It is always the greatest of encouragement seeing people step up and serving in whatever circumstance we might happen to be in, whether in person directly or in person remotely, it's a privilege to serve alongside you. Now, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the word together. Firstly, we are discussing the best course of action to take in regards getting back to meeting together in the church building. Now, please be patient as there are still people at risk due to varying factors, whether it might be underlying health issues, whether it might be age, whether it be low immune systems, etc. So we want to be able to provide a means that those who are at risk can still attend virtually and meet with us online. And so we're looking to institute and set up a live stream. And once the appropriate connections are set up, we can put some practical things in place to get that underway, which leads to, secondly... While we are awaiting that internet set up for the live stream and we're continuing to do this virtually, why not take the time for you to invite somebody to church and fellowship together on a Sunday morning in your local community? So I do know last weekend that Alan and Julia met up with the Finns and they did church together as a family. I'm sure they shared a meal afterwards as well. I mean, once again, being mindful of social distancing, and it'll be great to actually worship in your homes. If you haven't hung out with somebody for a long time, this is a great opportunity to do so. Or if you, there are people that you don't know very well, it's a great opportunity to get to know them by inviting them over and sharing. So you might actually connect. It's, a, it's an awesome privilege to be able to do this, and it'll be an opportunity to make friends, to build community, and to bless someone else. So maybe consider that over the next few weeks as well by doing church at home with brothers and sisters in your local community from the church family that you haven't been able to actually fellowship with. So with those things out of the way, let's open it a word of prayer and let's look at the word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that allows us the privilege to worship you, to remember what you have done for us through communion, to join in song and now to be ministered to in the word. We pray that as we look at your word now, you might open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to respond to the truths that are found within the pages of Scripture and to live those things out. May they not just be words that go and fall on deaf ears. May they be a truth that impresses upon our hearts and that by your spirit you might change us to be more like your son Jesus. So we ask now that as we look at the word now, may you minister to our hearts. May you, may you use today's message to challenge us and to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today i just like to really focus on one verse. And it's a verse that is all about perspective. It's the lens through which we are to view our Christian roles and action in our lives. You see, so far... In chapter 1, we have celebrated the people of God, the church, 
We have celebrated the love of God in Christ during Easter. We have celebrated our life in Christ, even with perseverance through trial. And from that celebration, we addressed in chapter 2, one's concern in Christ for the church, explaining one's fullness in Christ that is received, and in that fullness experience the freedom in Christ that grants true liberation from human ritual and moves into the divine relational. I had heard it said that much like a sturdy house must first have a secure foundation, so too is the necessity of a good theology in order to have a sturdy faith. Thus, there is in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians the establishing of the theology of Jesus Christ, who he is, where he stands, and how he reigns. And that was done so mainly to combat the false teaching that was going around at that time. From there, as Jono shared last week, and once again, thank you very much for that, Jonathan, chapter 3 begins with a clear instruction in how that theology looks practically in life. This new life in Christ is the beginning of this practicality, and this new life in Christ also comes with this new perspective in Christ. And so you'll notice in today's reading that from verses 18 through to 22, we're given a list of various roles that one can hold in life. For example, verse 18 referring to wives, verse 19 referring to husbands, verse 20 referring to children. Um, it refers to uh, as fathers in, in verse 21, but I'll, I'll refer to that one as parents and slaves in verse 22, which I'll now refer to as employees. But each of these roles in life must first be seen and understood through the lens or the perspective of verse 23, which is the verse we're going to begin with today. It's what I call an empowering vision, an empowering vision. Colossians 3.23, we read this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I want to read that again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, there are those people who love, and love to read into various ideas or themes or sentences just to be funny, as in like awkwardly funny, or just to be irritating or try to be controversial. It's like the times when people would maybe say, Joe, you know, you're a pretty big guy, to which I would more than likely respond, did you just call me fat? Now, yes, that can make certain people feel awkward. More often than not, it's probably just irritating, but I doubt it would be controversial. But in like manner, people could try to twist the intent of certain things, in this case, the phrase, whatever you do, and use it to cover things that it is not supposed to. But this phrase is not to be taken on its own, but viewed in connection to the roles previously mentioned in verses 18 through 22. It's referring to that particular role and holding to the characteristics of godliness in those roles and moving in accordance with the godly mandate that each of those roles have. 
So one cannot read into this phrase, whatever you do, and place theft and lies and cheating and pride and lust. You can't put that under the umbrella of whatever you do because they are in direct contradiction to God's nature and God's word. They are sin and cannot be justified using such a reasoning. He is saying, whatever you do in this new life in Christ as a wife, or as a husband, or as a child, or as a parent, or as an employee, whatever you do in these roles, verse 23 continues, work at it with all your heart. Or in other words, do your best. And really, why wouldn't you want to give your best to someone who has given their best to you? To give your all to someone who has won your heart by their overwhelming love. We are often called to give our best. And we give our best for a lot of things in life. An imperfect illustration for me is my time in high school playing for our high school's first 15 rugby team. I earned a position on the team. I was nominated as the vice captain by the players. And as part of the team leadership, I was required to set an example and to always give my best. I'd be at the team trainings twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was required to, 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 to continue with my fitness outside of those training days in order to be in top physical condition for the game day. On game day, I showed up early with the captain and with the coaches. We're dressed in our number ones. We had our jackets and our ties and our trousers looked very smart. We would play our game, have our meeting, give our best on the field. And then after the game, once again, get dressed in our number ones, have a meal with the opposing team, sit down, interact with them, talk about the game, talk about various things, get to know people. But that's what was expected. That was, that was expected of me as a vice captain, as well as a member of the team. Now, because as a leader, because as a part of this rugby team, I was representing the school, I worked hard to honour the role that I had as vice captain, to honour the privilege of being a part of that team and honour my teammates in my conduct. I wasn't trying to earn their approval or earn their acceptance. I wanted to walk worthy of the approval that I had already received. Now, I want you to remember something here. We are in Christ already a part of his team, as Jono referred to last week. And the working being referenced here is not working for salvation, acceptance or approval from God. We already have that in Christ. The working here is referring to my life as a Christian and building a God-glorifying, a Christ-honoring and Holy Spirit-empowered life, which is upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and the relationship I share with Him. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. It says this, for no one can lay any foundation other than one that the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, if I am willing to give it my all as a teenager playing rugby in high school for the acknowledgement of an honored position like vice captain, if when I was working as a DNC operator making printed circuit boards, did my best for the sake of a paycheck. How much more then am I to give my best for the God who gave his best for me? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved me that he gave the best he had to offer his son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How much more am I to honor him who loved me so much that he laid aside his glory in order to be born of a virgin in a manger? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. How much more am I to commit myself to him who gave himself as a sacrifice for me? 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, I am to give the Lord my best and to give him my all, because ultimately it is as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is the key to our new perspective in life, that we are working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is you and I working for Him, not just my employee at work, sorry, my employer at work, not just for the way I conduct myself. Even if, I, if I'm the owner of my own business, I work as unto him. If, if I have the right vision, knowing that what I do is working for the Lord, it results in a motivation and a diligence to always put my best foot forward, regardless of the roles or the task at hand. In this case, the roles listed in verses 18 through to 22. We are expected to live in accordance to these biblical mandates, not as a checklist to attain, but because Jesus has lived them out as an example for us to follow. Let me explain. In verse 18, we read this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, as a wife who was called to submit, Jesus asks this of you because he knows the power of submission. Submission is not weakness. Submission is strength. Submission is meekness. Submission 
is, is submitting to a will and a purpose greater than your own. Jesus submitted to his Father's will in Matthew 26, 39, when he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in that submission, experience the hardships of the cross, yes, but also the glories of the resurrection. And so he asks of wives to submit as unto their own husbands, as unto the Lord. And see the effects that can take place when such submission is demonstrated. In verse 19, we read, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As a husband who is called to love his wife, which may sound easy, but... The example of Jesus' love that gives his all in sacrifice for the benefit of another, expecting nothing, is the standard by which I as a husband am to meet and to measure up to. The sacrificial agape love that Jesus has for the church, for his bride. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, for her. Which reminds me, I, I do know that with the ease of the, the COVID restrictions and we're able to gather people, uh, Jonathan and Carissa, right before we had the shutdown started and we did the first session of two sessions of the marriage course. I do know that we're looking to do that again. So uh, for those who actually partook and participated in the marriage course beforehand, uh, we're looking at finishing that off soon. So I do know that Jono and Chris will be bringing that announcement soon. So if you were part of that, or if you'd like to be a part of it, please get in touch with Jono and Chris. In verse 20, we read this, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. As a child who is called to obey, Jesus knows exactly what obedience is capable of and what obedience leads to. Jesus Christ showed complete obedience to his Father's will and was obedient even unto death, the death on the cross in Philippians. Verse 21, as a parent, which is something God the Father did at Jesus' baptism, was to direct all attention to his Son. That when Jesus arose out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, God the Father proclaims for all, all people present to hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 Thus, as a parent, my voice is to empower, not to embitter, to build up, not to tear down, to point to Jesus, not push away from Jesus. And as an employee, the willing surrender of one's rights for the greater purpose of their master, Jesus on the cross is the ultimate picture of this. And Luke 23, 46, into your hand, I commit my spirit. A picture of willing surrender. The picture of a willing surrender to a greater purpose and to a greater cause, bigger than himself, a greater love for one's master, and in this case, of his heavenly father. You want to see this demonstrated? If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 through 18. Because this is a great passage 
we read about slavery. Now, please bear in mind, when we think of slavery, we often think of the American South and that sort of slavery within biblical culture, within the Hebrew culture, slavery was actually completely different. The slaves actually had the opportunity to make money, to have rights, to become educated, and to be given this option because there was a standard that after six years, in the seventh year, the slave was to be set free. And then the slave was given an opportunity to do something, to choose whether to remain in servitude or not. So in Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 to 18, we read this. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Right there, you see how it is different from what a lot of people think a slavery is. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. Now, but if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So even in this case, it's a matter of doing things willingly, becoming a willing servant. Having that attitude as working to the Lord, it's a willing choice that you desire because your Lord loves you so much. So every relational aspect that is asked of us here in verses 18 through to 22 is exemplified in Jesus Christ. In his submission, in his love, in his obedience, in his proclamation and surrender is the standard that we are called and empowered to follow. It is for you and I representing him to others. It is you and I as members of his body that are the means by which his love is expressed, his compassion shared, his mercy demonstrated, and his holiness lived out. Remember the Lord Jesus for whom we work. He has always set the standard by which we are to follow, and he never asks of us that which he has not been willing to do or has done himself. So when a vision such as this, a vision that empowers that whatever I do, I give my best for I am working for the Lord, not for human masters, leads to a guaranteed reward. In verse 24, we read, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. There is a statement here that is similar to those three words in verse 23, whatever you do. And, and you can read into this verse and say you only want to live the way you want to live because you receive an inheritance. You get rewarded for living that way. 
But the point Paul is trying to make here is that God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his faithfulness is going to keep his word and give his children an inheritance that he promises to give them. That's all he's trying to put across here. As if we hadn't received so much already in our salvation. We, we, we are saved from sin's condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are delivered from the enemy's chains. We are liberated from the world's hold. We are set free to new life and new perspective in Christ, given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1.3 says, We are testified and witnessed by the Holy Spirit who witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God in Romans 8. The blessing of being recipients of God's grace through Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that we are made new creations in Christ, that all things have become new and old, old things have passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we have a secure destination in John chapter 1, uh, sorry, in John 14, verses 1 to 3, that we are being called Children, they were called the children of God. 1 John 3, 1. We have been given so much already, and yet the Lord promises that as we walk with him in obedience, by faith and trust, he blesses us even more. How generous our God is. Obedience leading to righteousness and holiness. Romans 6, 16. Faith leading to our justification, Galatians 3.11. Trust leading to our guidance, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And that as you walk in this new life with this new perspective in Christ, there is a building upon that foundation that he who is the same yesterday, today and forever makes the promise of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, just as applicable for you and I now that it was for Samuel back in his day, that to them that honor me, I will in turn honor. But even with this guaranteed reward that is seen with our empowered vision, with that divine perspective, we are warned of this alternate reality, this alternate Truth, a strong warning in Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Our God is not a respecter of persons. Now, I don't want to be a downer here, and I don't want to come across as a self-righteous preachy type, which is probably how I sound, but this is a basic spiritual truth that needs to be addressed. Using those relational examples from verses 18 to 22, don't expect the blessing of God if you choose to walk away from the instructions and the standards that the Lord has set in place for you and I. If a manufacturer voids a warranty because you and or I fail to adhere to the product's recommended usage, don't expect it to just work out in life if you choose not to live a life in accordance with God's intended design, in accordance to God's divine instruction. If a wife refuses to submit to her husband, if a husband refuses to love his wife, if a child 
refuses to obey their parents. If a parent refuses to, to nurture and raise their child in a godly manner and more likely frustrates them through broken promises and hypocritical living, or the refusal to live as a respectful and diligent employee, don't blame God for your willing refusal to abide and adhere to His word. That, that's just basic. That just makes sense. Now, there are exceptions to these rules. I'm not, I'm not denying that. There are exceptions to these rules. There, there may be domestic violence. There might be a, a physical abuse. There may be certain things that go on. But there are, the point I want to focus on here is this. That he that sows to the flesh, or anyone who does wrong, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Which leaves you and I at this juncture. How can we practically change our perspective for our lives? How can we view things from that perspective that is divine? How can our empowered vision really, really have that effect to be able to see the rewards properly because we work as unto him and not for human masters? Well, as, as cliche as this may sound, as Sunday school answery as it might be, pray. Pray. Ask God for a change of heart. Ask God for a change of vision. Ask God for the change of our desires because that is what he has already given us. Ask God to reveal to you and to myself where areas in our lives need to come into line with his word and with his desire. Pray. Spend time within the scriptures. Spend time. Practically speaking, how that perspective changes means that we need to spend more time seeing things the way he sees them. Seeing your spouse as the gift that God has blessed you with. Seeing your children as the blessings that they are, not as the curses you might consider them to be. Blessing, sorry, thinking, seeing your jobs as a provision from God, to see your work as an opportunity to honor God because it's him that you work for. That is your ministry. That is your mission field for which you are to see things from God's perspective. And, and one thing that might help us change our perspective is a practical exercise. A very practical exercise as you spend time in the word is if you look at John's gospel and and look at the beautiful descriptions of the I am statements that the Lord Jesus uses to describe himself, in such descriptions reveals our lack and thus reminds me of our need for him. Let me explain. In John 6, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of heaven. He is the bread of heaven. Why? Because we are always hungry, wanting to be filled. He is the good shepherd because we are in need of leading and protection. He is the gate 
because we are incapable of entering safety and security on our own. He is the light of the world because we are continually in darkness. He is the resurrection and the life because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He is the way, the truth and the life because we are lost, we are deceived and we are incapable of saving ourselves. He is the vine and we are the branches because he is our source of life and sustenance and our dependence comes our dependence and our nutrition comes from being directly connected to him and each of these descriptions i find my need for him my perspective changes especially in john 15 5 if he is the vine then that is the position that he holds as life giver, as life sustainer, as life provider. And I'm the branch that is connected to him. That is where I find my strength, my dependence, my life, my hope, my growth comes from my direct connection to him. That's me living from him. He that abides in me that's me being immersed in him and he abiding in me. The same brings forth much fruit. That is when productivity happens, having the right view, being dependent upon and drawing from him in life. For without him, we're capable of nothing. So maybe, perhaps then we should then start spending time within the scriptures, spending time meditating in prayer, allowing him, allowing him to draw us to himself so that we, as verse 23 says, that whatever we do, we do it, we work at it with all our heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. As you move out from today, may our perspective change. May we be empowered in vision, being able to see the guaranteed reward, but also take heed of the strong warning so that we are drawn to him and not pulled away from him. Join me in a word of prayer. Um, and let, yeah, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for the reality that you have shared with us this morning. Thank you so much that ultimately you are our boss. You are our sovereign. You are the one that we ultimately serve. And I pray that we would be able to see things, to see with this new perspective of our new life in Christ, to see every relationship, every opportunity, every chance to serve as a means to glorify and honor you. Please help us to do away with things, to lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us and let us run with patience the race set before us. Give us eyes that are able to see, Lord, clearly you. May we look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith, Father, please help us that as we move on from here, 
we might see as you see, we might love as you love, we might live as you have called us to live. We ask you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. It's been my honor and my privilege to spend time with you this morning. Um, we have a Zoom meeting on now. If you have the opportunity, come and pop in and say hello. Um, we would love just to say hello. You don't have to stay long. Just pop in, say hi, and catch up for a little bit, just so that we know you're doing okay as well. And if not, have a wonderful day. May God bless you, and I look forward to catching up with you soon.